Welcome to the Green Jokers Podcast, episode 2, Mighty 2 Inches. Hello everybody and welcome back to the Green Jokers Malifaux podcast, bringing you Malifaux thoughts, feelings and reactions from the Green Jokers meta in Huddersfield, West Yorkshire. I am your host Jan and I am joined today by my co-host Jamie. Please greet the listeners, Jamie. Hello, greetings, welcome. How are you all doing? So, before we get stuck into the first segment of today's episode, I thought it would be nice to catch up on what we've been up to for the past month or so. Something exciting we've been trying out at at our local gaming store. Uh, In January, we started a beginner-friendly escalation league. Yeah, it's been really, really fun to be be honest. It's a... it's just nice to start a new crew, always is, but especially, like you say, beginner-friendly, we've managed to get a, a few more people going as well. Yeah, so we've got 16 people taking part. I believe at least half of those are completely new players. Yeah, yeah. Uh, completely new to Malifaux, so that is very exciting. And all of us who have already been playing for a while are using this as an opportunity to try out something a bit different. Yeah. Um. So I've been playing Tara. A bit different, you said. Very, very different. Mm. And I've been playing um, Summer Teeth James as well. So yeah, just so... Completely just jumping faction, just a whole different thing. Yeah. Um, which it has been really fun. Just playing something different has been really, really nice. Exactly, yeah. It's just something completely removed from our usual kind of Malifaux routine. Yeah. We've also been painting up models that we're less used to. Yeah. All the factions that I normally play are mostly just humans guys yeah they're all just fellas isn't it it's been nice to paint something a little bit different yeah yeah, yeah. with all the void beasts and beings same with summer as well or summer or whatever it is i'm having to get really really good at painting green yeah there's lots and lots of green all over the place and denim so much denim because they're just wearing like dungarees all of them but it's been been fun though it's they're really really just nice models as well yeah they're very good yeah absolutely Uh, and it's been great seeing what some of the new players are most excited about. Oh, yeah. Obviously, getting in at a very different time to when I got into the game and even when you got into the game, mm. especially with the availability of some of the Madness crews. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we've got one or two Castor players. Things? I think it's one now. Because I think t- there was a couple of people that were going to and then someone swapped, didn't they? So I think yeah, we've still got yeah. a Castor player. I think we've got two Pandora players, yeah. or maybe three. I think that's who swapped, you know. I think we've got yes. three Pandora players. I think we might have three Pandora yeah. players. So it's a, a lovely henchman crew where they've got this Stat 7 baby running around, just killing things, and then it's like, discard a card and gain stunned. Bon appetit. That's fantastic, isn't it? Yeah. So nice. It was, uh, it was really funny when oh, I told you... <laughs> Because if I just I sped read it, I was like, I was just any other rule, it'd be discard a card or so I was like, yeah, fine, I'll discard a card, I'll be fine, I go about my way, and it's like, no, yeah. you discard your card and you're still having a bad time. Like, oh my god. Yeah. Terrible. So, so for the listeners, if you don't know what we're talking about, I was present for Jamie's first league game mm-hmm. where he was playing against a candy-led yeah. henchman hardcore crew because we're starting off with henchman hardcore and then over each round kind of building on top yeah. of that crew leading to a full 50 soulstone crew at the end of the league yeah but jamie had never encountered candy before which is a surprise because like pandora is around quite a bit so i was surprised myself i'd never seen her but i never want to see her again now um she's not very nice not yeah. very friendly both jamie and the candy player didn't realize that candy's aura says that models that start their activation within four of her have to discard a card and gain stun. It's just horrible. Not all. Yeah. It's, it's just because then it's, especially with Candy's built-in defense trigger, you just can't do anything to her. And then you're getting pinged and pushed around because of all of the auras. And it's just, it's a pain. But it's Pandora, though. It's fun. It's, again, it's a new crew. I think that's the whole point, though, isn't it? Is to learn the new crews and, and like, 
have more people playing different stuff that we might not have, have encountered before, especially myself as a relatively newer player. It's just nice to see different things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we've got, other than there being an abundance of Neverborn players, which is always the case in the UK at mm -hmm. least, we've actually got a pretty good spread of yeah. all the other factions. We've and someone in every faction. Yes, we? every yeah. faction is represented with at least one player. It's been great seeing new people getting into the game and... Hopefully we can carry that on once the league ends. Oh yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that some of them stick around, become regular players. Absolutely, yeah. Always more people to play with and a greater variety of crews is always exciting. Yeah. Is there anything you wanted to mention that you've been sort of excited about or enjoyed in particular about the league? I know it sounds silly, but I've really been enjoying just playing the basics so it's almost like just learning just the small movement shenanigans and stuff that you need to do and just making sure stuff's in the right place just focusing down hammering down on the basics i think is just really really good for mm -hmm. an experienced player a new player just kind of learning that sort of stuff just means that in wider larger games you can apply it and hopefully just become a better player overall in the end but yeah that's been kind of the main thing i've taken away from the league yeah that makes sense Right, any final points before we wrap it up? No, I think I'm happy there. That's a little insight into our lives, the, uh, the slow grow there. Yeah, so I think that's a good place to wrap up the intro and let's move on to the first segment of today's episode. We have a new segment for you in today's episode, Creative Salvage on which we're going to talk about our recent hobby adventures, mishaps, and happy accidents. So, Jamie, what have you been up to in terms of the hobby? Have you painted anything recently that you'd like to share with the audience or yeah. anything else? Yeah, so I've been obviously painting the uh, the Bayou stuff, some of Teeth Jones stuff, but I've been using paints that I've not used before. I've been using the Alpeta Speed paints instead of contrast paints because I have been stuck in the ways of Games Workshop for a while. And then for Christmas, you got me a lovely gift of uh, some Alpeta Speed paints, and they're great. Yeah. They're fantastic. First of all, having them in dropper bottles, that's really real nice because then you can mix them up and do all sorts of like mixes and tones and it's just so much easier doing that. But they just tend to dry flatter, I find as well, which is really, really nice. I've been using it for all the flesh tones for all the Bayou guys. Yeah. So a lot of different like olives and greens and, and mixing them in different ways to get different tones. Mm -hmm. um, so that's been really nice. And it's just the way they work, they're almost like a really, really highly pigmented wash rather than it's like sometimes contrast can be quite thick. I don't yeah. know, have you used contrast much or have you always stuck with these? No, I, I've used contrast a fair bit and mm. I agree. It varies between colours. Yeah. And that's another reason why I like Army Painter Speed Paint a lot more mm. is because I find the consistency to be a lot more consistent oh, hey, across the different colours. Yeah. Whereas with contrast, I find it to be very hit and miss especially mm. with some of the original colors yeah yeah yeah. Uh, i think some of the newer ones where they're a lot more vibrant the consistency of the paint is also a little better mm -hmm. but i find with some of the original colors some of them are a bit gloopy almost. yeah and the way they dry it's like they can dry quite like coffee stained and they yeah. can leave a lot of marks can't they whereas i do agree with the new ones they do work a lot better with flat surfaces but it's like these the army painter speed paints they've been fantastic so i've been doing it on like i I think I tried one of them on the hats and obviously they've all got quite big hats believe it or not some of them quite wide brimmed hats just done it on that and it's literally just dried so flat it's yes. just it's, it's so nice especially because I like to do that as a base coat and then layer up afterwards so it's really nice to just have a nice flat base coat so yeah those Iopeta speed paints have been real nice game yeah. changing yeah I think they, they still have similar limitations to the contrast paint mm. in that they definitely lend themselves a little bit better to very textured areas. Yes. Yeah, but yeah. compared to the Citadel contrast paint, I do find that on the flat areas, you don't get as much of that coffee stain yeah, sort yeah. of look. And they look a little bit smoother. So, mm. yeah, I agree. I have also tried out the Vallejo Express colours. Okay. I've got some colours for those. Uh, and they work similar to the Army Painter Speed Paint. Mm. Uh, one of the main reasons I prefer the Army Painter ones is because I find some of the Express colours dry a little bit glossy. Oh, really? But the coverage is very nice, and they go on quite smoothly. But yeah, I just find the finish is not 
as pleasing for me as with the speed paint. Yeah, there's there's so many different brands now doing so many different yeah. things. It's it's difficult to know what's what, but yeah, definitely. it's good to just kind of pick and choose from each one. Yeah, I know for your um your Outcast crew, you've done some really interesting stuff with uh, some contrast paints, haven't you? Yeah, as I mentioned in the intro. I've been playing Tara in the Escalation League at the stall. As I talked about, it's something a little bit different to what I'm used to painting. Yeah. And I wanted to do something really quite striking and a bit different. Mm. So I've done a lot with underpainting. Obviously, underpainting has been a very sort of hot topic in the miniature painting hobby for the last couple of years with the rise of slap chop yeah. or whatever you want to call all it all sorts of different chop things exactly yeah. but it's all you know it's all the same sort of concept of underpainting of yeah laying down a, a a monochrome foundation and then putting transparent colors over the top yeah and so what i've done with my obliteration crew is I've really played on that idea in a slightly different way. And what I've done for the, all the Void Beasts is I have them really vibrant, sort of neon green at the front. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. they kind of gradually fade out into mm. black towards the back. So, so cool. almost like the fading into existence. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the way I did that is with an airbrush, I sprayed some white ink on the parts that I wanted to look sort of luminescent. Okay. Um, and then over that, I applied a transparent paint. Mm. Uh, for that crew in particular, what I did is I actually used a mix of the, is it Striking Scorpion? Yes. Uh, contrast paint. It mixed in with a little bit of a fluorescent yellow. So very, very bright. Yeah. Just yeah. punch that vibrancy up just that tiny bit more. And actually, because I applied that with an airbrush, it went on really nice and smooth. Oh, yeah. So I didn't have any of those issues associated with contrast paints because of that i am going to try and put some pictures of that on our green jokers instagram page yep. uh, and we'll maybe try and get some pictures of your soma crew yeah as well i've just got uh, to finish them first yeah, yeah. so g give me like i don't know a year then i'll get done <laughs> they'll get done eventually and that's not the only thing i've been up to hobby wise yeah uh, i've been painting little bits and bobs of other crews as well uh, but another sort of big project that I wanted to talk about is as I started playing Outcast a little bit because of the Escalation League, mm -hmm. I wanted to fill out the crew a little bit with Versatiles as well. And I had this big voodoo doll yeah. model, this giant voodoo doll model that weirds do. And I have started converting that into a hodgepodge emissary. It looks so cool. It looks awesome because you've done so much conversion work on it as well. It's not just kind of like a, a different pose or anything. Like You've done a lot on there, haven't you? Yeah, so I've done probably the most sculpting I've ever done in my life on no. that model. So I've sculpted a, a big cowboy hat yeah, onto yeah. it. And I've also sculpted a little backpack mm -hmm. to reflect that from the pack ability on the HodgePodge Emissary. And I've also recently started sculpting a little hobby donkey for the doll to be riding. That is awesome. Uh, so it is literally just like a puppet version of the Hodgepodge Emissary. That's fantastic. That uh, so, so once I'm done with that, I'll also try and get some pictures up yeah. of that up on the Instagram so you can uh, see what I've done there. Yeah, so that's a couple of the big hobby projects I've been working on. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else that you've been working on, Jamie, that you'd like to talk about? So I have actually quite enjoyed some different painting techniques that I've not necessarily used before recently. One of them being just wet blending, just as a base coat. And I know that's like a lot of people will have probably tried wet blending here and there, but it's something that I haven't necessarily had a look at before. Mm -hmm. uh, but I recently got a lot from eBay of uh, a lot of it would be in the Savage kind of Euripides, that sort of mm -hmm. stuff, um, some never worn. And I've just been trying it on them. And it's been fantastic because especially they're such a good canvas for that sort of thing. Yeah. Just large musculature, the big flat surfaces that they've got on them. It just makes them look so much more interesting if you've got all sorts of different tones in there. Yeah. Because it would be so easy to paint them all the one skin tone, highlight up, whatever. But kind of having that wet blended base coat initially 
And then after that, working up just the highlights, just picking out the little bits, I found that's worked really, really well for those sort of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've just been really enjoying it as well because it's not only really just on the models that I've been doing it, it's on some bases too that I've been doing. So I did some more swamp bases for the Summer Teeth Jones stuff. And it's like just mixes of greens and browns and all sorts mm-hmm. of blends there. It just ends up looking really, really nice and much more interesting, I find, than just any sort of flat color. And it's just been enjoyable. It's just a different technique. And so I always recommend trying new techniques. Yeah, I wish I'd take my own advice because it doesn't happen very often for me. But just a little little new technique every now and again, yeah. just kind of expand the painting arsenal, I think is always, always a good thing to do. Yeah, I definitely agree there. I mean, like I say, with the HodgePodge Emissary conversion, mm. before that I'd done very little sculpting just the occasional usually if something broke off a model and i needed to repair it i'd sort of like green stuff like the tip of a spear or the horn on a model or something that i'd broken Mm. off so this was the first time i i tried sculpting something a little bit more complex yeah Uh, but i really really enjoyed it i mean it's definitely not you know going to be winning any awards it doesn't matter though you've done it like exactly and i've learned so much from it and now i feel much more confident that if i want to make some sort of interesting conversion in the future it's just another skill and another tool in my arsenal yeah because it it, i I always find it can be quite intimidating to try something new but like once you tried it once you give it a go it can end up looking really good and like i said it's just another tool it's just a new thing and there's no reason not to honestly yeah it's all part of the learning journey yeah and the hobby and it's the reason why a lot of us do it in the first place yeah yeah well, I hope you have enjoyed listening to us talk about some of the more creative side of things that we've been up to recently. Please share any of your own projects with us, either on our Green Jokers Discord, or you can send them in via email, and all of the details for that will be in the show notes. Uh, and maybe we might even talk about some of them in a future episode. Right, so that will be it for today's Creative Salvage, and let's move on to the next segment. Welcome to Matchup Catchup, where we discuss, analyse, and reflect on a specific pairing we encountered recently and attempt to extrapolate any lessons learned. For today's episode, Jamie is going to talk about a matchup he played recently, while I'm going to ask him some questions to hopefully extract some useful information about the master he chose, as well as the master he played into. So, Jamie, please tell us what matchup you have chosen and why. So, I've picked... I had a really, really interesting game recently between me playing Yanle Spiritwalker and the opponent playing uh, Masaki Fractured, and it's, it ended up being a very, very interesting game. Why did you declare Yanlo? Was it the pool, or your opponents declared faction, or was there another reason? I just wanted to play Yanlo, to be honest. I've been playing him for for a while, I'm enjoying him, and I was I literally, I think I only took Yanlo to the event, I just wanted to play Yanlo, so I essentially, I was monoing Yanlo all day, um, and he was a quite interesting so i went to the table um we both kind of started setting up and you had played the guy in the previous round so i think he was also planning on doing yanlo all day and then was just like no we're not gonna have a mirror match we're not gonna do that so then he changed his option to uh, misaki fractured which actually ended up being a really really strange interaction between the two masters and there's just some really weird stuff that happened interesting can you give us a bit of a summary of how the game unfolded? Yes. Obviously, starting off, crew selection. My crew, I obviously had Manos. Why wouldn't you? Um, Yin to do a bit of scheming. Two Kamino to be walking Yanlo around. Mm-hmm. Uh, both with Grey Spirit's touch. Cause I just, of course. It's such a nice combo. It's just so nice. Uh, Kenshiro, MVP Kenshiro every time. Gokudo, and obviously my master and totem. And the opponent's crew, if I'm remembering right, obviously you've got Masaki, you've got Shang, I think Atoto, Jin, Monaco Ray, two Tarakage, and then Sun Quang, Sun Kang, whatever his name is. Sun Shang. Sun Shang, one of those. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just my reading skill, just out the window there. Um, 
Talking about a keyword, which I thought was really interesting because it ended up a lot of stuff was moving around and I'd not really seen him on the board much. And he was just interesting. Like he was he was moving bits that were getting hit, but unfortunately when he got hit, he kind of just yeah. fell apart a bit. A bit of healing and yeah. a bit of focus. Did he distract some, some of your guys? I don't well? know about distracted. I don't think that ever came up, but he was definitely, yeah, healing up Monaco Ray, which was mm-hmm. a pain because she's already difficult enough to deal with. <laughs> so healing her up a bit and just... Yeah, just being an all-around pain until Manos eventually came and dealt with him. But yeah. that's just what Manos does, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so well, at least he's not Defense 7 anymore. Yeah. He, what? I didn't know that. Oh, my God. Yeah. Because he's, he's a 6-6, six, six though, isn't he? Like, he's quite a good defense. Yeah, yeah. But he, Sun Chang used to be oh Defense days. 7 at the start of the edition. That is horrible. Yeah. That is mad. Um, but, yeah, so essentially the, the pool we played into... With standard cloak and dagger, um, we deployed all the the tokens that I ended up putting mine quite close to the edges because with both Manos and Yin, they can jump off and, and do what they need to do. As far as schemes go, I picked information overload and deliver a message um, with Manos doing the deliver. I'm not sure if it was the best choice that deliver a message because I'd not actually played into Masaki Fractured before and she just sits at the back the whole time. Yeah. So then Manos had to go on a bit of a wild goose chase kind of scoring some points along the way just running over there i mean if anyone has the speed then manos has got it yeah every time i see deliver a message it's always manos because it's like you just leap even if you could engage him and he's like see you later i'm leaping out of here having a nice time there you go you heard it here first folks yeah, if you yeah. ever play jamie <laughs> deliver a message is in the pool manos run away, away from manos <laughs> you, you can try you can try and run away from him so that was that they were the ones i picked i think my opponent picked i think it was deathbeds and also information overload, which was very interesting, but we'll go over that a little later on. Early game, I played quite cagey. The opponent kind of played what they needed to play, having some experience with Yanlo, but like I say, I'd never been against Misaki Fractured before. I didn't know what was going on. So I played quite cagey, sent Yanlo, the dogs, and Kenshiro up the center, and then I think it was Yin and Gokudo down one side, and then Manos just by himself, because it's Manos. He could handle it. He'll be all right. He's chilling. So it was a slow start, some sort of stuff like that. The opponent buried a Toto, and obviously they've got the mechanics where I can unbury with all sorts of shadow markers and stuff, and that was just yeah. a bit scary, cause especially playing against it. because So the way Yan Lo likes to play is he likes to move all of his own stuff, yeah. and obviously then that would generate the shadow markers because yeah. Misaki Fraction's got that ability, and then it's just like a Toto could show up anywhere. It was it was quite scary but other than that it was not a super eventful first few turns you know dropping some schemes doing some intel collecting that sort of stuff but that was a nice little simple start to the game so that wasn't too bad but then obviously mid game is where stuff started to pick up um i was still playing very cagey making sure to not obey my own stuff because i just didn't want to drop those shadow markers um but so yeah, so I was using the commander to get him in position and just bully Monaco Ray. It's like, oh, willpower five, is it? And it's not built in on the willpower. That trigger that gives me that silly little upgrade. I'm just going to keep shooting Monaco Ray over and over again with Yadley. That's like all I did the whole game. And then obviously she kept getting healed up. And it was just, yeah, there was a lot of back and forth in the middle there. But essentially what happened was down one flank, Jin appeared as he does. I think he targeted the Gokudo with it. The Gokudo goes back to deployment zone both shows up and then he's got that gun that drops a shadow marker yeah and i was just like oh no i was in the first like turn just making sure not to drop any and then straight away it was like there's a shadow marker like just in the back there like that's fantastic so obviously a toto just jumped out of that i think he engaged the gokudo and yin at the same time which is real rough because once yin gets engaged like there's no real way to get her out rather than doing a disengage yeah she like i wish she had some sort of stuff to like push people away something like that would be Fantastic. Well, she does, but then she places back in base contact with them. Exactly. Right? So yeah. it's, a, it's, it's a real pain as soon as you've engaged. I've had games where Yin's been engaged and has just not been able to do anything about it. She's just kind of sat there and just had to deal with it. And it's really is such a pain. So down that side was real, real odd. And there was a lot of stuff going on with um, Atoto smacking some stuff around. I managed to get quite lucky with the Soul Porter who ended up going over that way. And I think I killed Jin. So there was a corpse marker had the soul porter go over, heal the Gokudo above is hard to kill, and then also move Yin all in the same activation as well as engage a Toto. So all, all in one activation, I was just like, a Toto, you can stay there and have a little fight with my soul porter if you want. Yin's going to go do her own thing. She'll have fun. And then kind of, so that was down the one flank, had Manos going up the other flank, 
doing Manos things, you know, leaping around, scoring points, having a fun time. And in the center, I had that scrap with Monaco Ray and Yanlo and the dogs just kind of going at it, um, doing the best they can because it's really difficult with stat five against her defense six. Like, you just, you're so worried that upgrade's going to come out and just, you're going to have a bad time on that comes out yes i was so scared of the upgrade the whole time it's freaky do, do we want to go over the upgrade just in case anyone doesn't doesn't quite know yeah sure so i think it's she's got it built into defense doesn't she yeah it's a, a resistance trigger yeah. on defense and willpower but it's built in on defense mm. and as you mentioned she's uh, willpower five but she's defense six yes yeah yeah it, it is the usual sort of default timing so it's after succeeding mm -hmm. so if you try to hit her with a nice stat five from the gokudo which i was really trying not to and if she declares the trigger she puts this karmic debt upgrade yeah, on the yeah. attacking model which has a couple of rules on it the first one is that whenever minako ray suffers damage the model with that upgrade suffers an equal amount of damage. Yeah. And not only that, but if you then kill the model with the upgrade, yeah. you get to summon a Wanyudo. And then that's just going around putting burning on everything. Yeah, it's just scary. So you can you can see why I was so cautious about trying to avoid that happening. So in the center, I had that sort of thing. I had Kenshiro at one point pick up an intel and just run into a big bit of uh, severe terrain. And just ran in with his incorporeal and was just like, come and steal this. Like, I dare you, I dare you. Um, oh, Kenshiro's so good. Like, yes. it's almost MVP like every game. He's yeah, be just dashing around, scoring little bits. And yeah, Maus was kind of dashing down the side. He was dealing a lot of the time with what are those paper guys called? Katashiro. The Katashiro. They would just show up, just be really annoying. And obviously, if they had survived, late game would have dropped a lot more schemes. So I was really lucky that Manos just got to deal with them a few times. Because otherwise, I think that potentially would have changed the game quite a bit. Yeah, they're amazing. Oh, they're Katashiro. Good. Yeah. So good. Such good summons. Yeah. Especially like in keyword as well, because those the shadow markers are going to be everywhere. Yes. So then you can just super easily summon them. So there was just the few scrums there but once Yin had got off she was doing her stuff and mm -hmm. that was kind of it became a pretty standard game around that point obviously me still playing very differently than i normally would not trying to obey my own stuff it's like it just became a pretty normal game stuff moving around stuff dying stuff scoring points pretty chill um the end game is where it really came down to the wire though so we had run out of time essentially of the round my opponent had done all of his activations because a lot of his stuff had been killed at that point mm -hmm. this was turn five so there's only three of his models left all three of his models had activated and they had did everything they they could to kind of drop down as many schemes pick up as much intel as trying to score those points and then i had one activation left like it was it, last activation was called i was like all oh, right okay i need to really like honed down on this so i i had yanlo to go and i went with yanlo and this is why i love yanlo so much yanlo spirit walker there's just so much you can do with him essentially he first of all moved his mighty two inch movement look at him go what an absolute beast he moved uh his mighty two inches to get within an inch of a toto steal the intel who i think he might have stolen it from a one of the Kamani early in the, turn, in the turn, or he might have stolen it just from one of the objectives. Mm -hmm. I can't, I'm not quite sure. Either way, he moved in, stole that. For the first time in the game, obeyed the Kamainu with his reliquary to then move over towards Masaki, which then allowed me to place Yanlo within one, and then Yanlo targeting himself with that bonus action he's got. I can't remember the name of it, but essentially let's use a path. That's the one. So you move three and then either drop or remove a scheme marker. Did that. He, he moved his three and dropped a scheme marker right next to Masaki, and then that scored me my last point of deliver a message, which I did do my first point with, with my eyes. Nice. Yeah, I managed to get there eventually. But it was this all in that one activation. I think I ended up scoring myself. I think I scored three points in that one activation because both of us taking information overload. We needed as many schemes as possible. So obviously dropped another scheme, stole the intel, which allowed me that third point for Cloak and Dagger. And then also that last objective near Masaki, which then allowed me the last point of deliver a message. The game ended up, I think, 6-5, I think. I won by one point, but only just. It was extremely, extremely close. But it was a really fun game, and I had to play super, super different. And yeah, it ended up being just extremely tight. Yeah, it sounds like a, a really fun game. It was a really exciting game. Crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Okay, just to unpack some of what you said, mm. what did you find to be some of the key challenges in that matchup? And how did you address them in the game? Yeah, so I think, obviously, this happened pre-game at Master Selection. My opponent picked the perfect counter for Yan Lo. You're shaking your head there. It was a good counter. When when I saw the interaction happen on the board, I was just like, oh my god, I'm going to have to play so different. Yeah. So essentially, Yan Lo, he works kind of like passing upgrades around, and then those upgrades allow him to obey his models a little bit better. And that's kind of his thing, just obeying his own models, moving stuff around. As he's got his own reliquy, that when a model has that, it kind of, Yan Lo follows that model around, yeah. essentially, when it moves. And I've just been really enjoying that. But then obviously, Masaki is a really, really interesting counter pick because then when anything on the board moves outside or does it's like outside of an activation if it does an action outside of its activation yeah yeah, yeah. it generated it drops shadow or, marker or it, it does an action generated by a non-charge effect yeah because obviously the charge would generate an attack and mm -hmm. all that stuff. anytime i would obey one of my models essentially it would drop a shadow marker and then that would just put the fear of god into me with the toto being buried i was like i just i can't move all the stuff i want to because yeah. normally Yan Lo has got so much extra movement with all of his models because he's obeying them left and right, moving them around, kind of doing what he needs to do there. And I just couldn't do any of that. So I had yeah. to play super, super different. That choose a path came in clutch so many times, just mm -hmm. pushing him a little bit further, making sure he's where he needs to be because then that's, it's not outside of activation, it's his activation. Yeah. And yeah, just the Kamani moving Yan Lo around also came in super clutch. So just a, a few tiny interactions really, really came in clutch. But it was just that one small thing with Misaki having to completely change the way I would normally play Yan Lo was just mega, honestly. They made the game super, super interesting, which I, I did appreciate. It's always nice to have a, a fun game like that. Did you discover any unexpected strengths or interactions that either helped or hindered you yeah so i did mention earlier on that we both took information overload yeah this has happened a few times to me where both me and the opponent have taken information overload and the point where you both realize it maybe like turn three or four when you're both like oh no because it just becomes a stupid race to just place as many ski markers as possible because i think in turn four they managed to score the first point and i didn't because they had more ski markers but then i managed to i think pick up some with yin and obviously drop a few with the rest of my crew in turn five and just managed to squeeze out the end for that last point it's happened twice now. The one before was just, we ignored each other turn four and five. Just dropping his million scheme markers, ended up with like 30-something scheme markers on the board. It just became so stupid. So that's always something that's really interesting because not only do you have to make sure you've got a crew that drops a lot of schemes, which is really good with Yan Lo. Like most of his models can scheme, move, scheme. Like it's fantastic for that sort of stuff. But you're not only scoring points, you're denying them for the opponent by dropping schemes. Yeah. Which can just be such a big swing for games. Absolutely. But yeah, so both taking information overload, that's always something I think you need to be aware of when looking at the pool, because I love information overload, but you have to make sure you can drop those schemes. Yeah, and be aware that if you do end up both taking it, it's yeah. going to be an absolute battle. It's mad. And it's going to be a battle of... Mm -hmm. AP efficiency, and if you don't have the AP to back up that scheme choice, mm -hmm. you're going to pay for it. I think that's potentially how I just managed to squeeze it out late game, because like I said, I managed to kill most of the, the opponent's crew, so they didn't quite have enough models to be yeah. dropping the schemes they needed to, whereas a lot of my stuff has the potential to drop uh, two scheme markers a turn, so... Mm -hmm. Yeah, you like you say, you really do have to make sure you, your crew is, is right for the job when you take yeah. information overload. Sounds like a pretty fun time. Yeah, it was just a wacky game. And it was a fantastic opponent as well. And just the combination of those two things always is a good mix for a good time. One last question for you. Would you change your approach if you were to play this matchup again? And if so, how? I don't know, to be honest. I think I would potentially just keep it the same. Because I think the crew that I took, especially if it was in the same pool... The crew that I took, even without the extra obeys and all that sort of stuff, is still very, very capable. Mm -hmm. So Manos, scheme leak scheme. Um, Yin can drop a scheme, move, and then dark bargain on herself. Yeah. The Gokudo can drop a scheme, um, risky maneuver, and drop another scheme. There's so much stuff that can drop, just so many scheme markers all over the place. 
So I think the crew as a whole, I was very, very happy with. I don't know against Misaki Fractured how I would change my crew though. Is there any, like, what would you potentially recommend? I'm not sure. Obviously, I didn't manage to catch any of that game, but I'm wondering whether you have an opinion on if you had chosen to play Yandler 1, mm. that would have allowed you to carry out your game plan uninterrupted, unlike with Spirit Walker, where Misaki Fractured directly sort of punishes you for using your master's mechanics. Yeah, I I, I, I do think you're right there. Because Yandler 1... Um, he obviously doesn't have all the obey stuff, mm -hmm. so then that would completely change the mechanics of M Masaki's thing. But obviously, it's like it's difficult to know, isn't yeah. it? You have to almost yeah. meta game a little bit. So I kind of I took a, a risky maneuver, no pun intended, picking Yanlo too, and it ended up pay off, paying off in the end. I did win, but it had to, had to play slightly different. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, great. I hope that was useful to you. I certainly enjoyed listening to you talk about that game. So thank you for listening to this episode's Matchup Catch-Up. We'll be back with another segment for you after a short break. This is Subassembly, a segment in which we focus on an individual stack card, one element at a time, in order to develop an in-depth understanding of that card and how it fits into the gamescape. For this episode's Subassembly, we're going to be talking about the Saboteur from the Arcanist faction. Yeah, let's take a look at the front of their card. So, they are past five, uh, a minion, living, um, minion two, of course, living and a versatile model, which is quite nice, obviously, versatiles are always nice. Uh, they are defense 5, willpower 5, movement 5, size 2, and 5 health. Yep, well. just your bog standard stuff, yeah. 5 stone menu. Just 5's all over the place really, isn't it? As far as their abilities go, we have got the disguised ability on the front of their card, so they can't be target of a attack generated by a charge. That's always nice. And they've got Don't Mind Me as well, so they can interact while in Engage and take disengages and all that sort of stuff. Um, and vaguely kind of unique one, it's also one the Operatives. So set up for success after this model resolves an attack action target and an enemy model within two of a scheme market in Majora Cards. Which is a nice combination with Don't Mind Me, I guess. Yeah, and because it's after this model resolves an attack action, mm. it doesn't necessarily have to succeed. Yeah. It's a little bit of card draw. It's not the end of the world, is it? Yeah. Yeah. So, any opinions on the on the front of the card there? I mean, the main thing that strikes me is that their only defensive tech is disguise, mm. and for a defense five, willpower five, five health model, I don't think that gives them very much staying power mm. in order to do whatever it is that you're taking them yeah. for. I do think Disguise is a very nice um, defensive ability. Like, yeah. the, the amount of times I've played against Disguise and it, you have to really change the way you have to move your models around. It's one of those where against certain crews, it's going to be great, but some crews are just not going to care at all. Yeah, if you just shoot it, and it doesn't matter if you're disguised or not. Exactly. A bullet is a bullet. So, I'll have a look at the back of their card now. So, they've got two attack actions. The first one being just a knife. They've yeah. just got a knife. So that's zero inch range, um, stat five with a, a built in crows, which is nice. It is resisted by defense. Um, so the damage is one, three, four. It's a little bit spiky. It's all right. It's okay. Um, and as far as triggers go, it has got on tomes, catch a glimpse, which is fine. Again, that's an okay trigger. Don't mind it. You can set up the sort of stuff that's coming up. It's yeah. the end of the world. And then the built in trigger with the crows is no witnesses. So can only be declared if there are no other enemy models other than the target. Within 12 and line of sight of the model, and then it gives you plus one damage and ignores armor. It's a very, very weird one, isn't it? Yeah, it's super situational. It's It's got the same issue as pretty much everywhere it appears on different cards yeah. throughout the game. It's so extremely situational, you never really build in a game plan around it. Yeah, think. yeah. And at that point, the fact that it exists on their card becomes almost irrelevant. Yeah, especially when paired with Disguise. You don't want to have this guy in combat, do you? I mean, the fact that it has Disguise, to me, as you say, indicates these aren't models that you're looking to get into melee. Yeah, yeah. And the, the chance to do plus one damage on a 
one damage minimum like i mean in theory if you get the no witnesses off it becomes a 245 ignoring armor <laughs> so it becomes quite a respectable damage track for a five stone model but like i say i think no witnesses is just so situational yeah, yeah i wouldn't really put much weight in on that trigger yeah that's fair so the other attack action they have is arson these guys are just like actual criminals. Knives and arson, like they're just running around sending stuff they're fire. They're saboteurs, mate. Yeah, it's fair enough. They're there. As long as they're enjoying themselves, I guess. Yeah. Arson was one of those actions that was notoriously bad for the longest time. Mm. I do think it has picked up in relevance yeah uh thanks to gg4 and how many scheme marker schemes there are in the current packet yeah the only thing i also need to worry about with it is because it's a, a shockwave you're very susceptible to hitting your own models yes. with that um yeah your, your own models don't ignore that shockwave so you do have to be careful mm. that you either are okay with your model taking the damage and burning or you are prepared to cheat a yeah. card to make sure your model doesn't get hit. But at the same time, it's it's removing a scheme marker at 10-inch range. That's nice. It's not bad. It's good. It's yeah. good. Uh, so I you think... need a 7 for it, which again is like a, a medium like card. So. Yeah. Like, like I say, in previous GGs, this might as well just not exist on the card. Yeah. I think in GG4, it's situationally going to mm. be quite impactful no oh, definitely especially when you need the odd scheme marker say someone needs it on the edge just pop that scheme marker it's not near anyone just get rid of it it's fine yeah um so that's not too bad and as a tactical action they've got one tactical action and it is a, their bonus action um sabotage their plans range six stat six no resist um and a tn 11 of masks so obviously need to have that masks which is a Makes it a little bit less efficient, which is an issue. Target enemy scheme marker. Drop a scheme marker into base contact with the target. Then remove the target. So, do you know what? Yeah. If that mask was built in on their staff... Would be so good. I would have no issues with this. Yeah. Honestly, if that mask was built in on the stat, I would accept the back of this card as it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I say, the knife with the built-in no witnesses is a little bit weird... It'll happen maybe like once in 500 games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it'll be hilarious when it does. <laughs> Imagine doing five damage with this little guy. Like, that's crazy. Ignoring our... Oh, like, God. There's, there's a couple of totems in the game where yeah. this, this just completely obliterates them potentially. Yeah. But yeah, with, with that arson and sabotage their plans, mm. I think we can clearly see this model is supposed to be a sort of anti-schema. Yeah, but also the sabotage their plan dropping one of your own schemes too. True. Really yes. nice. This definitely seems to be a very scoring-focused model. And actually, I think it's very close to being that. My, my impression, though, is that I think most keywords probably have a model of a similar cost mm. that does a similar job, maybe slightly less efficiently, Although, at the same time, the fact that that mask isn't built in on Sabotage yeah. Their Plans, that's very up for debate. And most of those models in Keyword are probably at least a little bit tankier than, than the Saboteurs. Yeah, that's fair enough. I think that's a fair assessment. Do you actually have any experience with or against these models? Have you ever seen them or used them? I have never seen this model hit yeah. the table since <laughs> I've started playing Malifaux. To be honest, before you mentioned this model, I don't think I'd ever seen it, ever. On the R, on the website, anywhere, I don't think I'd ever seen anything about it. Like I say, I think I stumbled across their card again mm. recently, and in the context of GG4, I'm definitely more inclined to try them out than I have ever been. Yeah, there's definitely some play to them, I think. I, I don't really have any experience with them, but as I say, in, in GG4, I can see myself giving them a go just to see what the impact is on the board. Is there any situations that you would actually consider hiring them then? I think where scheme markers have elevated significance to the game and the matchup, just thinking about it now, I was going to say it 
could be interesting against Tull Dead Silent, okay. where he's relying on Scheme Marcus to stay alive. That's not bad, I see. Yeah. Uh, so potentially having that arson to remove that Scheme Marker. And that's su- such range, you don't have to even go near Tull. But at the same time, I'm not sure if these guys even make it into within 10 inches yeah. of the relevant ski markers before they get killed. Because there's a lot of shooting in that specific crew. As yeah. Well, isn't there? So. And there's a lot of fast models and there's a lot of hyper-efficient ranged model. I guess in that specific matchup, Disguise does prevent Hexbos from shooting them from run and gun. Yeah, I suppose. Um, but, I've not even considered that. But then you'd have to stay a ridiculous range oh, yeah. away from them for them to be safe from Hexbows. I mean, Hexbows, close to impossible to be safe from them anyway. There's so it's, much crazy stuff true. in them. Um, do you know what? I'll probably try them out at some point in GG4. This GG is as good as time as there's ever been and there's potentially ever going to be in their current state. So I will probably give them a go, especially in keywords in the faction that maybe don't have a good in-keyword target for magical training. Oh, oh. Oh, okay. So maybe yeah, something yeah. like a Colette or Hoffman crew. Yeah. I might give it a go just to put them down on the table and, and just see how it works. Oh, that's not bad, actually, and that's quite a good shout. Just to close out the segment, do you think this model needs a buff and nerf or think he's fine as is? It's uh, definitely an interesting one, that. I think this model could really do with a little bit of love. For me, if Sabotage Their Plans had the mask built in... yeah. That would be a really solid step in the right direction. I'm just worried that would make it, like, too good, though. That's such a big step. You, you know where I'm coming from with that. I just feel like just straight away, flip a five, I can then just get rid of a scheme marker. That's big. Sure, but these models do just die to a stiff breeze. Yeah, that's fair enough. Uh, as soon as your opponent sees that, they just know, okay, I need to kill this model before I start scoring my schemes. Yeah. And they're going to have absolutely no issue killing this model. They have to commit very little of their actions and resources to killing these models. There's a fair point. Another thing that I think could be interesting, although maybe it's stealing a little bit too much from them at that point, mm-hmm. is if these guys got Infiltrator, like the operatives, okay. so enemies don't get to treat them as enemy models. It gives them a little bit of situational survivability that they don't have, and it also adds an interesting mechanic to the faction that doesn't already exist in the faction. I quite like that. That's a good idea, to be honest. It's like you say, it does maybe take a little bit away from those other guys, but at the same time, they seem to do a similar enough job, especially in two completely different factions. And it's... And it's thematic, you know, it's supposed to be these guys who are kind of these spies and uh, they're infiltrating the enemy line. So I think that could be quite interesting, whether I would consider them with just Infiltrator without the mask on Sabotage the Plans. I think maybe not sure. A three of masks you needed to flip if the stat was higher. Possibly, yeah. Yeah. Or the TM was lower or something. For me, they absolutely need a buff and... If we're looking at bringing up some of the underutilized models in the coming errata cycle, Mm -hmm. uh, I would definitely advocate for saboteurs being on that list. Very nice. Well, that is it for this episode's sub-assembly. If there's any particular card you would like us to look at, let us know and we'll hopefully look at it in a future episode. You're tuning in to Half the Presses, a segment in which we give a rundown of some of the most recent happenings in the Malifaux hobby. So the first item on today's agenda is the upcoming releases page on the Weird website, which has been updated again. Very exciting. Yeah, so we've had some more Ashes of Malifaux boxes revealed all the way through to May, I believe. And obviously, the book will have come out by the time this episode releases. Mm -hmm. We've already seen some of the cards teased, but we'll maybe save that for some future sub-assemblies. Or if you'd like some extra content covering the Ashes of Malifaux book, then let us know and we can try and do something for that. So just to give the audience a quick rundown 
We've had a couple of Arcanist boxes revealed. Yeah. A few guild boxes. Yeah, three, two uh, or three. A couple of outcast boxes. And then one Neverborn box, I believe. And one Ten Thunders box. So quite a range of stuff, which is nice. Not as uh, Rezzers heavy as the last uh, no. release. Well, Rezzers will nearly have everything out by the yeah. end of this month yeah. anyway. Uh, so... Uh, yeah, no value though. Not yet, no. Which is a shame because I, I, I'm interested to see what sort of stuff they bring out with the Bayou. Yeah, and we've we've seen some of the teasers, obviously, with yeah, the yeah. Uh, Jebediah mm-hmm. and the Haberdashers, as well as some of the cards that have been floating around yeah. on the various Discord servers recently. Yeah, they do look really fun. Yeah, uh, but I, I think there was a similar situation when Malifaux Burns came out. Where it was all the Bayou right at the end. Yeah, was for it? whatever reason, I don't know if it was logistical reasons or just coincidence that most of the Bayou Masters or, or most of the boxes with the Bayou Masters mm. were right at the end. Which I remember I was a little bit upset about because a lot of the masters that I was playing at the time yeah. actually were paired with a lot of the Bayou masters. Yeah, that is a pain. Um, That's a real pain. But uh, I'm guessing we're going to get a, a, a nice sort of flurry of Bayou releases maybe from June onwards. Yeah, I mean, I really hope so because there's just some crazy potential of stuff they can do with the Bayou. Yeah. They're always fun, fun guys. But out of the releases they have shown, is there anything in particular that has caught your eye? So, obviously, it's all awesome. New stuff's always great. But cowboy stuff, absolutely fantastic. So we've got the explosive duetto, where we've got um, Aval Ortega and Domingo Montoya. They just look cool. It's just like a a nice little kind of musical duet of... uh, also gunslinging why not yeah it's such a cool little theme i love it i think that's fantastic those are cavalier and family keywords yes yeah they look amazing i don't play either of those crews currently me neither but i honestly might have to grab that box just to paint them up yeah they're like Um, more than anything just the models the creativeness that's gone into them they just look amazing they look so so fun other than that uh, like i say cowboys all the way the extreme measures box that's the bandit mercenary box with the kind of all those sorts of robots going on there as well ellie may chesterfield and the six arm six shooter yeah Um, that just funny i love it i love it when there's like a little bit of that comedy element in there which like all over malifaux but yeah yeah big big fan of those models I don't know if six-armed, six-shooter is a reference to anything. It feels like it should be. Knowing weird, it probably is. Yeah, yeah. But looking at the sculpt, Mm. it almost looks like a little bit um, like a Star Wars droid or something. Like an assassin droid. Yeah, something like that. Uh, And yeah, we've got LMA Chesterfield, who actually, through the Breach players, will recognise her from a... through the Breach expansion that Weird put out in a Waldo's Weekly a couple of years ago. Because her art's been around for a while, hasn't it? Yeah, although the art on the box is actually different to oh. the Through the Breach art. So yeah, in the Through the Breach art, she's um, sort of standing up yeah, on yeah. the uh, Hunter. Mm. And I'm assuming that it's still the same Hunter. Yeah, uh, But yeah, I believe I remember reading that she's essentially captured one of Hoffman's guild hunters That's cool. and sort of reprogrammed it all. However you do that, yeah, Malifaux, yeah, yeah. you know, it, uh, where it's a bit more magical. Yeah, they look amazing. They do. I, I definitely agree there. I'm just excited to actually physically see the models because it's, it's one thing seeing the render and it's another thing seeing the models. Like, they look fantastic as the render, so I can only imagine what they'll look like physically. I'm very excited. But yeah, anything to catch your eye as well? Yes, as I mentioned before, I've been playing a bit of Tara in mm-hmm. our Escalation League at the club. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm very excited about the Redacted Box. Yes, yeah. Which is Amalgam and Obliteration keywords. Mm-hmm. And the artwork for that just looks absolutely stunning. It is beautiful. I don't know what they've done with the artwork on this one, but it is fantastic. Like, j- amazing. Yeah. It's my favourite artwork I think I've seen from any sort of... Malifaux stuff. Yeah. I, I love it. Absolutely and, love it. And it's awesome to see a, a wheelchair-using character. <laughs> Hard stop Herbert. Hard yeah, stop yeah. Herbert. He, he looks so cool. He does. Uh, and then V as well looks amazing. And and the 
renders for both of those look really nice as well. Yeah. So I'm excited to grab those for my Tara crew. Obviously, I won't use them in the league, but definitely want to grab them for for using with Tara yeah. after that. I'm excited to see Hard Stop Herbert just teleport into Echoes all over the board. Like, <laughs> I think that'll yeah. be fantastic. Also... Me being uh, predominantly an Arcanist player nowadays, mm-hmm. I am very excited for the Stagehands box. Yes. Yeah, again, the models in that look particularly amazing. That box has the performer and witness keywords, so some reinforcements for Colette and for Damien. Mm. And it's got Shadow Lark, who is a new henchman for both Colette and Damien. Yeah. And the Blackbirds, who are... Minion, and it looks like they're sort of holding stage spotlights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is quite, quite cool. And they're wearing these bird sort of masquerade masks. Yeah, they are quite imposing models, especially that shadow lark. It looks like it'll be quite large on the face. Yeah, Uh, I mean, when you look at the render, her Mm. wings look massive. Oh, definitely. uh, Yeah, definitely some sizable overhang there. Yeah. uh, Because I'm pretty sure she's on a 30 mil base. Really? Oh my Uh, God, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, those those look great. And uh, I've been playing quite a lot of Colette recently. Yes. And hopefully once we get a Damien one nerf, uh, I'll uh, probably bring them out with Damien again. Other than that, there's a few other boxes that we skipped over. But if you want to check out all of the artwork and all of the boxes, just head over to the Weird website to the upcoming releases page. Lovely. Well, in other news, we attended a two-day event recently as well. Um, Madison the Midlands 2, The Asylum, which was a really good event. Five rounds, uh, bands one format, which was interesting, and uh, uh, clocks optional as well. But I really enjoyed the event. I thought it was a very, very good event. Um, And just a nice weekend overall. Two-day events are always fun i've found but yeah so what what was your sort of experience with that with the event then yeah i i had fun i was playing arcanists i actually brought four masters with me Mm. um although one of them was damien who i wasn't really intending on playing yeah but i managed to get at least one game with all of the other three which was really exciting i actually did the same thing as well i brought a, a, a good bunch of masters and i think i only had I think I had at least one game with each one as well. I've not done that before at an event, and I've actually quite enjoyed it. It was quite yeah. fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, we actually ended up playing round two of the event. Yeah, which is why I ended up near the bottom, because um, I just got thrown. I, I won a first game, I was on a nice high, and I pair up with Jan, and oh, God, is this uh, not going to go well? And it, it definitely didn't go well. So you played Castor yes, in against our you. game against yeah, yeah. my Colette. Mm-hmm. So, what were the other two masters that you played at the event? I played Jackdaw in Sold, which he can be quite oppressive, I won't lie. But both opponents that I did play him against said they had a good time, which is great against Jackdaw, because that's not how it's supposed yeah. to be. Normally, no. he's supposed to make the opponent miserable, so I'm glad everyone's happy. And also, Yanlo. As I've mentioned before, I've been playing Yanlo a lot recently. I've enjoyed him quite a bit. But I only played him one round this weekend, but he's still still very good. Still really enjoy him. Yeah, I think he's one of those who, after the nerf, a lot of people kind of fell off him. Mm. And I don't think he's sort of anywhere near the top of the faction. He's definitely very middle ground, but yeah. Yeah, there's just a lot of... He's just very versatile as a master. There's a lot he can do, and it's, I, I just enjoy his play style. He's very good. Yeah. So what masters was it that uh, you played at the weekend? Like I mentioned, I played Colette against you. Yep. Uh, which was actually my only Colette game out of the five. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. So you were mean to just me then? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, no, it was a pool that I thought worked really well for Colette. And actually, you were attacker in that game. Yeah. And we were on a board where the corner deployments... Very were, pinned in, weren't they? they? Were, yeah, yeah, essentially yeah. there was a fence around two of the opposing corner deployments... And you kindly decided to put me in one of what them. What can I say? You're welcome. You're um, welcome. So I decided to go with Colette, uh, who had a little bit more manoeuvrability mm. to get around some of that terrain that was in the way. Yeah. But other than that, I played Rasputina for two games. Fantastic. Did you play Raspy 1 both times? Yes, I played Raspy 1 both nice. times. And I also... Uh, had two games of Mayfang. 
course, yeah, Mayfang. Funnily enough, my two games of Mayfang were two of my only non-wins that weekend. Oh, really? Um, which, yeah, for anyone who knows me, Mayfang has been one of my favourite masters in the game for a while now, oh. and uh, I've probably got more reps with her than any other master in the game. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I got a tie and a loss with Mayfang. Wow. Uh, so I think I might need to go back to the drawing board when it comes to playing Mayfeng and GG4. Mm. It does sound like that Mayfeng game that you did lose. Maybe it wasn't Mayfeng and might have been the deck. It just wasn't a lucky game for yeah, you. Yeah, so, so this was game four. So it was the first game of day two and I was playing against Radek, who was playing Tiri. Mm-hmm. And my deck just decided that I wasn't allowed to play Malibu. <laughs> Um I had multiple models going at Ouroboro for multiple turns. Yeah. With some of them being like three up on the stat. And I just could not kill him. Mm-hmm. So I think I triggered his demise in turn two. Mm-hmm. And then I eventually managed to kill him in turn five. Oh my god. Oh my, that, that just sounds like an absolute slog, just trying to get rid of this real roly-poly yeah. guy. Yeah, just to rub it in, Ouroboro ended up red jokering damage <laughs> on Mayfang. Oh my god! Mayfang. I didn't know that, oh my days. That I is was, unfortunate, very I, unfortunate. I, I, I was not pleased, to say the least, after no. that game, but... What are the chances just, in there? Yeah, that's just the way it goes sometimes with, with the tech. Yeah. So... We had a great weekend. The event was run by Oz. Mm-hmm. Always uh, runs good events. Oz yeah, does. this is Oz of Rampage Games yeah, and yeah. Uh, Naughty Corner Gaming Podcast fame. A little uh, cheeky shout out there. It was a great event and I hope Oz puts on some more events this year because yeah. they're always some of my favourite events to go to and he always has some awesome prizes and swag as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. And also, potentially, if with more events, different formats, because we I think mentioning the bands, that was that was an interesting part of the weekend, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, so it was, I believe, the first bands format event in the UK. Mm. This is on top of singles as well, so it was interesting to have both singles and bands, and it actually was quite refreshing for me, at least. Yeah, it was just an extra layer of thought when you're kind of making your list and declaring the game. It's not something that I've ever done before, so it was quite interesting kind of going into it and thinking, what is the worst thing the opponent can take and stopping them from doing that. Exactly, Um, yeah, and it kind of stops those super bad matchups in some cases. And I think it's quite nice for adding extra depth to the game for the more experienced players, whilst at the same time not necessarily penalising newer players too much because Mm. most newer players generally tend to stick in keyword anyway. Yeah, and it's at the same time, It's um, I think for newer players, being able to ban the one thing you don't want to see just means you can play your game much more, which is always nice. Exactly, and you can sort of focus on playing your crew Mm. a lot more as opposed to worrying about you know, hard counter pick exactly. in your yeah. opponent's faction. So that was a great event, and I am looking forward to the next one. Yeah. Our last item on today's Hot Off The Presses is about a couple of weeks ago from when we were recording this, there was an announcement about the Cartographer's Cup 2024, mm. which is an international team event being organised by some of the guys over in Poland. So that is happening towards the second half of August of 2024 in Warsaw. They are going to be using clocks. Fantastic. Which is always great for us. And it's a team event with teams of eight. The idea being that there's one player playing each faction. Yeah, which I think is really, really interesting. Yeah. I already like this. Uh, and I, myself, I'm looking at um, booking onto that and hopefully finding a team and attending because it sounds like it's going to be a great time. There's already four teams signed up on Longshanks, Mm -hmm. which is exciting. Just looking on here, there is uh, one Polish team signed up so far, a Czech team, a team from Hungary and a team from Germany. Oh, nice. So hopefully we can get at least one UK team organised and uh, 
head over there and uh, I'm probably going to combine it with a little holiday as well. Why not? So that's exciting. If that sounds like something you might be interested in, you can head over to their website for more details, which is uh, cartographerscup.com and all of the details, including the rules pack, are on there. So that's it for today's Hot Off The Presses. That's it for today's episode. Thank you ever so much for listening. If you enjoyed us talking about Malfo, please share this with your friends. It really helps out a lot, especially while we're still new on the block. If you have any ideas for segments or feedback, please do get in touch. And you can do so by emailing us at greenjokerspodcast at hotmail.com or joining our Green Jokers Discord. The link will be in the show notes. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Green Jokers Podcast. So may your jokers be evergreen, and that's a goodbye from me. And that's a goodbye from me as well. Yo, yo, yo. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jeddah. Nice to meet you.